Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. When I was very, very pregnant with our second born, my husband and I were in Santa Rosa for my master's graduation. We flew into San Francisco and rented a car and then drove into the night on a dark, winding Northern California highway. We felt like we were in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea that there were such rural parts of California. On this toll road in particular, there seemed to be no speed limit and people were taking full advantage. Our standard 70 to 75 miles per hour was downright pokey compared to the cars flying past us. It was pitch black out, and our vision was limited to the two long luminous triangles of our headlights, so when we passed two more triangles resting in place on the right side of the road, in the ditch it seemed, it took us a minute to realize that they were upside down. Almost a full minute passed before realizing that a car was resting wrong side up, on the side of the road, headlights blazing. About a mile after we passed, my husband and I looked at each other and said in unison, that was a car, upside down. We called 911 as quickly as we could, but it was difficult to explain exactly where we were. Obviously, we felt compelled to go back, but there was no way to turn around. So we moved to the very outside shoulder against the advice of the dispatcher and started backing up slowly cars were flying by us at 90 miles an hour and it was a thick black night and we were backing up on a shoulder. After about a minute of driving backwards with cars whizzing past, my husband stopped, put it in drive and said, we've done what we can. This isn't safe. You're pregnant. My responsibility is to you and to our baby. We've done what we can. At the time I agreed with him. I said, okay, I think I was afraid of what we would find if we actually made our way back. So we prayed together, and then separately, and we spent the next hour in the car in silence. And I've always regretted that. It can actually wake me from sleep. Because someone needed to be there. Someone needed to be there waiting with them, whoever it was, helping them to bear their burden. And I've had to rest with the fact that I cannot change the past, but I have received some solace in knowing that I can certainly learn from it. So six years later, after a fun night out with my husband and my in-laws, God gave me a do-over. It was a similarly dark night when my family and I turned into our neighborhood off of a busy road and we were shocked to see a car lying on its side accompanied by a lone police car. We were just three or four blocks away from our house and there we were, our headlights illuminating the underbelly of a car. We paused, we speculated, what in the world? And then we made our left turn and pulled into our driveway. Well, I already knew what it felt like to leave someone in a car without a friend to hold their hand or say a prayer, and even though it had been six years, I was still regretful. So instead of going inside to my cozy house, I thought I would take a walk down my street instead. God may have given me a do-over, but he did not give me a plan. He knew that I didn't need one. So I rounded the corner, and in the time it took me to get out of the car and walk the three blocks, countless more emergency vehicles had shown up. So I stopped at the corner, and I said a prayer for what I might see, because I am not tough in traumatic situations. I stopped at the porch of the next-door neighbors, where she paced, spectating the chaos, and I said hello. We introduced ourselves, and she explained that there had been some loud fighting earlier in the night. It quieted down for an hour or two, but just a second ago, the fighting had started up again, and she heard kids yelling from the house, telling their daddy to please stop. She kept talking. I registered that she said she heard a pop-pop and thought it was gunshots, so she called 911, but all I was thinking was that there were kids in that house. She was talking, and I could hear her, but the only detail that my brain could settle on was that there were kids in there, and with all of the adults tending to whoever was in that car, they were probably alone. I didn't make a decision to do it, or if I did, it was involuntary, but the next thing I knew, I was walking across their yard and up their driveway to a side door that was standing ajar. I was standing at the entryway, peeking in. The house seemed empty, 
quiet. It was only then that I got nervous, when I had a second of quiet. But then, suddenly, I was standing face to face with a woman in her early 50s who met me at the door. Something about the way she was standing in the kitchen told me that it was her kitchen. She wasn't a relative. She wasn't a neighbor. She lived there, I could tell. We met eyes. Hers were terrified. When she saw me, she backed up with a gesture too small to detect that said it was okay for me to come in. Something about her demeanor as I entered told me that I was in charge. She wasn't afraid of me, and it was her house, but there was something about her permission into her house, the way that she backed up slowly with her hands clutched at her chest, a question in her eyes that asked me to take over. She needed me, and that was it. That was the nagging thought that has stayed with me for the last six years. The person on the side of the road that night, the car with the headlights eerily shining into the tall grass, that person in the car upside down, they needed someone, someone to help them bear their burden. And it probably didn't even really matter who it was, and they probably didn't even really need a plan. They just needed somebody to show up. God would do the rest. I crossed the threshold into this woman's home without asking, and as I entered, we never broke eye contact. My eyes searching hers, I was trying to tell her that everything was going to be okay, and somehow or another it would. In her eyes searching mine, she was trying to ask me if I was sure everything was going to be okay, and somehow or another I was sure. There were no words between us. She didn't speak English, and I can only speak Spanish in situations where it's appropriate to laugh. We shared nothing but our unfinished emotions as we searched one another's faces. The exchange was only seconds, but eventually her worried face gave way to tears. I stepped closer to her and wrapped her up, and she fell into my chest and heaved and trembled and cried, the most frightened tears I have ever experienced. She clung to me. I had no idea what to say, but as I looked around, I noticed some Catholic art, so I started praying the Hail Mary as one does when in the grips of a stranger in a foreign kitchen with the crime scene outside. And there we were, bearing one another's burdens and sharing Jesus. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. When the prayer was over, things got a little awkward, like the music stopping at a party, bringing acute awareness to exactly what's going on in the room. When I quit praying, we realized we were in an unfamiliar embrace. She backed up a little and wiped her face and gestured that she should probably go back outside. Then I remembered why I had walked over in the first place, and I asked her in Spanish if there were any kids in the house, and she said yes and gestured to the bedrooms, giving me permission to do whatever it is that I needed to do. I found a preteen in one of the bedrooms, and I asked her a few questions and said a few things I thought would be comforting and tried to maybe hug her. It didn't work out. She was completely weirded out by the lady in her house, and I got the eerie feeling that this chaos actually wasn't that far out of the norm. We chatted a bit. She squirmed under my gaze and my touch, so I left her alone. I told her I would pray for her every day. I walked out of the house to find the woman again, but I met her husband instead, who spoke perfect English. The house was theirs. The kids inside were their grandchildren. The young man on the sidewalk with the cops around him was their son. The woman in the car was their daughter-in-law. Their son and their daughter-in-law were fighting, and she was angry and speeding out of the driveway, and she hit electricity, an electricity pole, and it sent her car sailing. She was fine inside, but they needed every tool they had to get her out, and the pops were from power lines, not a gun. They had a volatile relationship. When the husband finished spouting the facts, a stillness came over him. And he asked me with all sincerity if I was the angel his wife told him found her in the kitchen. I laughed an improperly loud laugh considering our surroundings and assured him that no, I wasn't an angel, just a neighbor. As I was walking home, it occurred to me that none of that scene was scripted or premeditated or really even intentional. Just show up, I thought to myself. God will do the rest. Just show up and bear one another's burdens and pray for a blessed exchange, maybe as a giver, maybe as a receiver, but it's really of no importance because love is about what happens in between. As I kicked piles of winter leaves on my way home, I wondered if I would have had the grit to weep into the chest of a stranger. My guess was that she didn't exactly have a plan either. We just showed up and made room for God to show up too. 
I was reminded of an important conversation I had months earlier. I was feeling weak and needy and was explaining to my spiritual advisor how difficult it was to ask for and accept help in the midst of grief. And she beautifully explained that so often we define loving as giving. But in actuality, for love to occur, there has to be a receiver too. When there is a connection between two people, a giver and a receiver, that's when the love happens. So the taking, she consoled me. It's just as important as the giving. That night in my neighbor's kitchen confirmed what she told me to be true. My neighbor and I, we experienced Jesus that night. We felt his love together. And it wasn't because of me, and it wasn't because of her, but together in the giving and in the receiving, we took Jesus from one side, we took Jesus from the other side, and we found him right where he belonged, in the middle. Jesus was in the exchange. If Jesus was in the exchange, it was never more so than on the cross. He became poor so that I might be rich, and he became weak so that I might have the power of God. He emptied himself so that I might be filled up, and he was wounded so that I might be healed. He was broken so that I might be made whole. We come to him freely, and we borrow without scripts, without plans, and grace abounds, and people are healed because the blessed exchange is the best part of the deal. There's something about letting go of exactly how God shows up in the midst of grief that allows me to experience Him more often. There's something about settling into an exchange instead of dictating a direction that makes room for the Holy Spirit to blow in and blow out in the midst of grief. It's taken all of six years, but I can more easily show up empty-handed now, knowing for certain that God will provide the best part, and then try to determine once the exchange is over who gave and who received, because it usually gets pretty confusing when God settles in between. I walk away an air quote angel feeling immeasurably blessed. There's peace in knowing that whatever side of the equation I'm on, it's Jesus I see. From the book of Psalms, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. This is my friend Stephanie. We've been friends for 20 years. She is little but lion-hearted, has a surprising sassy side, and is frankly one of the bravest people I know. Refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble, it's what she's always been for me. It's what I hope to be for her. Hi, Steph. Hi there. So you and I have been friends for quick math, quick math. Almost 20 years. Forever. Forever. It feels like forever. I can't remember a, a time before knowing you. I suppose technically I can, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, so we were in a sorority together. And what I kind of appreciate love about our friendship is that within that sorority, it was huge. So within that sorority, we weren't even necessarily in the same friend group. And yet we kind of sought one another out. Yep, we did. We somehow managed to find our friendship in the midst of all the yeah other crazy girls. Other. And, and even ended up living together. Yep. Which was a total fun experience. <laughs> Um, I have some great funny memories of that. <laughs> um, what maybe we can get into this? Uh, what I love about you, Steph, is that I have always felt so wholly accepted by you. Mm. Um, I have felt like I can be all of myself with you, and you absolutely um, handle all of them with care. And you're so nurturing and precious and a fixture in my life that I would not ever want to be without. Oh. Well, I feel very much the same way. Like, totally myself. And I feel like when so many other people didn't get me spiritually, mm. I felt like you wanted to and you mm. did mm. and allowed me to just feel like I was accepted in that. Mm. Before I was Catholic? Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. That's neat. Absolutely. I didn't know that. Yeah. I love that. 
Um, yeah, so we did have adventures in living together. Stephanie is just this this very peaceful soul. She just kind of adds calm to a room. And um, I don't know. I guess that's not exactly my strong suit. <laughs> you bring fun and just real life experiences. I mean, like, I love that while you were gone... Um, little girls that you met down the street came knocking on our door because you made friends with them at the pool and they wanted to know where the popsicles were. <laughs> and or try, shoes. Yes, my shoe closet. <laughs> they wanted to try on my shoes. Yes. Well, I just, we were, we might have been to the outside observer an odd couple, but I think that we were a perfect couple yes. and I'm just so thankful for that. I think time. now I feel like we're so much more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we've I don't know. I think we parent similarly. Uh-huh. And we have that introvert thing going. Yes. Us, but we're not totally introverted. Yeah. It's complicated. Yes. It's complicated. Um, okay. So we are here to talk about the subject of grief, which um, nobody wants to be an expert on grief. Uh, but sadly, Stephanie, you are. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Um, Stephanie, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mary Claire? So our firstborn daughter, um, came into the world almost exactly 13 years ago on Monday. And, um, she came into the world a little bit sooner because, um, of some complications with her placenta, but came into the world and, um, we had two beautiful, beautiful years with her before um, she suddenly passed away in her sleep with, without any explanation. Um, and um, it was a abrupt um, change in our life that um, we can't, we can't even believe still to this day that is, is our life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the pleasure of knowing Mary Claire and um, just a beautiful child, um, just striking and stunning and such a beautiful mixture of you and Matt. And, um, I keep her picture on my refrigerator, um, all the time. And she tells me to slow down. She reminds me to slow down. So, um, I was actually in California, um, when I got the phone call from another sorority sister of ours. Um, I was in a, in a master's program and it's interesting when you get earth shattering news like that, um, it's like you're, it's just so weird. And because you're you, I, I get to, you know, tell you all these, all these things. But my first thought was I have class, <laughs> but I have class. And so it's weird how it's like your, your brain kind of goes to these manageable things in this time of unmanageable news and um, obviously, I caught the next plane uh, to Texas. I was in California, and I caught the next plane here, and um, and was there, you know, for the funeral. And um, I'm just curious if you wouldn't mind sharing what some of your earliest memories are around that time. Um. Well, Matt shares about this more often than me, but one of the hardest memories, um, which there's millions. <laughs> but was we had to leave the hospital without her. And um, we had to get in our car, and her car seat was there. And we had to have somebody take the car seat out Mm -mm. for us. Um, But there was just, you know, so much of it's a blur. I mean, I have have memories, and I have some um, just memories of lots of people filling my house and you know, we started off, uh, my brother and sister all live in our neighborhood, and we we gathered at their home because it was just too hard to go home after um, after that. We couldn't imagine going home without her, so we, we kind of stayed away for a day. But um, we prayed about it or had this revelation that we just needed it. We needed to bring people into our home with us, so we, we took my sister and um, a priest friend and another friend with us um, just to kind of walk through the home for the first time and um try to try to figure out where to go but then we just had lots of lots of people around us and um in those first moments like you know that whether it was the first couple of days you know what what were 
some of your needs? What did you need from the people around you? You know, my brain just, I, I had an infant at the time. My son, Athen, was only two months old. So, you know, so much of me was still in mommy mode of, like, taking care of him. So it was like I couldn't do anything outside of really, because caring for him was, was actually healing me of some sort at the time, you know, like giving me the only amount of comfort I could have. And so, I mean, just people were feeding us, and I had sent friends, um, sorority sisters, to pick out my clothes for the the rosary and the funeral, and I sent um, friends to pick out things from her room and because um, I wanted people that didn't know her at the funeral to have some semblance of what a two-year-old is like and mm-hmm. what it was going to be like for us to live without her. So they created this beautiful like display of her things. Um, another friend who's a photographer friend, um, I just kind of let her loose, and she just showed up with pictures, mm-hmm. and um, beautiful mm-hmm. pictures. Mm-hmm. But um, I couldn't, I just, everyone had to just pick up and mm-hmm. do things. I remember, um, you know, showing up and, and I didn't know if we were going to get on our knees in her room and weep. I didn't know if we were going to go out to the backyard and throw plates. I didn't know uh, what we were going to do, but I, I showed up on your front door and you took me by the hand <laughs> and you marched me back to your bedroom and you said, I need you to help me clean out my closet. It was a surprising, you know, thing. But I think, you know, you think about what's the smallest room in your house, a closet. I can manage this. This is kind of something I can get my arms around. There is kind of comedy in the, in the midst of tragedy. <laughs> but an, another memory of mine is, um, you know, as I was here, you know, my parents were pacing and um and they wanted to know something they could do and so I was I was on the I was on the phone with them while I was here and you said snow cones bring snow cones (laughs) and my dad didn't know which kind you liked but by god he showed up with one of everything (laughs) yep Larry Mays he showed up with snow cones that's awesome that's great um so you know as far as I as friends, as people um, that are walking along a path with you, everyone everyone wants to be helpful. And when you think about those immediate needs, um, putting food on the table, putting clothes on your body, you know, holding your baby at the funeral, um, as you started to walk this path, what are things that were not helpful to you? What I, I guess what I'm saying, I, I would think uh, with grief, like, okay, so there's a scale of, of grief, whether pain is pain, for sure, but there are absolutely common pains, and then uncommon pains, and this is an uncommon pain. Um, a common pain, like say maybe a breakup, um, that while deeply painful, um, I would imagine that everyone experiences a breakup at one point in their lives, right? So, as we walk through a breakup, I would imagine that a lot of people have, you know, have advice about how to get broken up with or how to go through a breakup or ways to heal. At least with an uncommon pain, um, maybe people are less irritating with the lack of advice. Not so much. There's <laughs> plenty of things people like to say that unfortunately don't help. Yeah. They don't help. What are some of those things? Do you have memories? Um, God's will. They're in a better place. I mean, every cliche about um, that are all that are all intentioned to to somehow comfort, but they don't. And Matt and I have reflected on this so much, and we just you know we we put ourselves in, in other people's shoes, and we realize that like they can't imagine their their own minds are trying to wrap their you know their minds around why why did this happen? How did it happen? You know, especially you know oh he works at the church. How could this happen to them? So they. They kind of really, you know, they want to say something like somehow God justified it, you know, and yeah. and unfortunately, you know, we for us, we had to come to terms with that God didn't do this to us. That's right. That like He was walking with us, and that we don't live in heaven. This is this is earth where there's there's sin and you know bad things, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that are really that bad. He did not intend. That he did not intend, but he. He unfortunately allows, and we'll have to address that someday in heaven. But yes, but we're gonna have we're yeah. gonna need to have a conversation. <laughs> we'll have a little conversation about that. But mm. at this point, we just we needed to 
to love on Jesus, and I just couldn't, I couldn't accept his love if people kept telling me, oh, God's will, God's will, God yeah. wanted this for you. He, he picked you because he knew you could handle this, if uh. anybody can handle this. And you know what? God doesn't give us things to handle. He is how we handle the things that are given to us. Oh, thank and, you. Um, and those kind of things didn't help. Yeah. But, um, but there are plenty of things that did. I will never, um, there, I have several memories regarding this topic and, um, one of them, Matt was sharing with me about, um, people will come up and they'll ask, how are you doing? And, and Matt is, has honesty in spades. He's all caps honest. And, um, he will say, you know what? It's a really bad day. And literally people's response to that was, but you're doing okay though, right? It's like other people need you to be okay because to be so uncomfortable with someone not okay in in front of them. And I remember hearing that story and, and feeling shock and awe that that would be someone's response until I did it the other day. Mm -hmm. I did it with someone whose kids are, I am invested, invested in, um, they don't have a lot of money, and Seth and I uh, feel called to help lighten their load. And I asked, I saw her, and I asked her, ah, oh, this makes me cry because it just feels like a failed moment. And I know that she knows that I'm good intentioned. Um, but I asked her, I said, did your boys have a good Christmas? And she, she kind of shrugged her shoulders. You know, she put her head to the side and kind of shrugged her shoulders I answered, I'm so glad. It's like I needed her to say they had a great Christmas, <laughs> you know, because I feel responsible. I felt responsible in that moment for their Christmas. And so I think that people, um, as your church family, they feel responsible for helping you get by. And it becomes very difficult for them to hear that you're not getting by. Um, I also remember another time that I love this one. I, these are just moments between you and me that were bonding for us. <laughs> I was with you in your church and this, um, older woman, precious older woman, she came up to you and she, and I, I really learned something here too. She came up to you and she said she was glad. It was like, she hadn't seen you in a while and she was glad to see you. I think it was pretty soon after. And she said, you know, she saw you and, and was aware like, ah, that's Stephanie. And she was like, how are you? And you smiled tight and you tilted your head and you grabbed my hand and you said through your teeth, fine. And you led me away. We walked away. And that was what you could manage out of that situation. And so I'm like keenly aware that, that, that things have gone awry, but I don't know exactly what. And so I'm like, what just happened? How, wh how are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> Talk to me, goose. <laughs> and you were like, she didn't have to ask me how I am. She could have just said, I'm thinking about you. But in the question, how are you? She's requiring something of me. And because we're not close, I had to lie to her. And I don't like to lie. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no tid. You walk up to someone and you say, I've been praying for you. I've been thinking of you. I've had you on my heart. But that question that requires something of them. Oh, yeah. That was such a lesson for oh. me. Well, it's true. It's like you just, you you recognize they're wanting to, but you just, you can't pour out to everybody. Yeah, yeah. You can't pour out to everybody. So did people have suggestions for you? For Yeah, you know, there's there's so many ways people think, you know, life just needs to happen. I mean, one of the things that I remember that I made a decision very early on was, you know, people were doing so many things for us. I couldn't even keep track of oh, how many right. meals, how many, how many this, that, and the other, all the flowers, whatever. And, and um, I grew up writing thank you notes. I mean, and that oh. was something that, like, my grandmother and my father and my mother all, sure. like, ingrained in me is that when someone does something nice for you, you write them a thank you note. And I made a decision. I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have it in me every day for the next six to nine months to thank every single person for every little thing that they've done for me. And I will show my gratitude in every way I can, but I can't be um, handcuffed to this responsibility and this politeness when it, when it just 
opens up my grief every day, mm-hmm. you know, and when I don't want to be diving into that. And, yeah. and I had people offer to do that kind of stuff for me. And we would, we sent out a big, huge general thank you to the parish from, um, in our bulletin, thanking them for everything. But like, um, that was something that I, I felt like was a really hard, healthy decision for me mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know what, I'm just going to take care of myself right yeah. now. My responsibility is to get up in the morning. And take care of my baby. And take care of my baby. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the things that didn't help and the suggestions that, that weren't helpful for you. By the way, other people might find writing thank you notes completely therapeutic. And, Correct. <laughs> you yes, know. absolutely. And that's the thing with grief is every, I mean, I've recently encountered a mom that's lost a three-year-old. And, um, and she's very, she's sharing so much on social media about her experience, which has been interesting for me to walk walk through watching um but for her going to the cemetery is yeah. helpful for her and that is never yeah, been you helpful don't, for me yeah you don't do that. so i recognize you know yeah. grief is not a cookie cutter situation yeah. either so maybe the people around you it's just space you know i mean n- not not physical space but you know just kind of that emotional space um to allow whatever right. whatever right. it is so what are the things um that were helpful to you, not necessarily from those around you, although perhaps that too, but the things that were helpful for you for um, well, getting to the next day. Um, one of the first steps that we made was going to daily mass, which was this crazy choice that Matt and I made. Not crazy, but like mm-hmm. it was, it, it seems weird when I think about it. Cause I would, I would imagine most people just want to stay in bed yeah. and don't want to do. And we got up and went to daily mass and, my brother and sister-in-law joined us, and they had an infant at the time as well. And we went to a different church. We didn't go to our church, but we went for I don't know how many weeks. Um, as, and it, was, it wasn't like getting anything as far as like this huge sensation from going. It was like making the choice to say, you know what, God, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. I'm just coming to you. I'm just, just gonna, showing I'm up. I'm just going to show up. Um, but um, so many things that helped were, you know, like creating new, um, new spaces for things, painting, painting my house different colors. Mm. Um, I had a, my best friend from high school would come stay with me. Oh, I remember that. And she would just help me paint another room just, just to make it feel different. Um, rearranging furniture helped. Um, we had people, I, we went out of town and my next door neighbor, who's a saint, she, um, Asked me for my keys so she could do a couple loads of laundry while I was gone. Well, little did I know she and another friend were going to clean my house for me. Mm-hmm. And um, that was wonderful. People mowed our lawns and then did all kinds of things. We, um, we took a trip. And um, it, was, it was a huge deal for us. You know, financially, we wouldn't have been able to afford it. But a group of people from church um, handed us a check and said, please just go somewhere together. Mm-hmm. With your baby, and we took a trip we would never have done um, otherwise up to Boston and um, the Cape Cod area. We'd never been there, and um, we spent time planning that trip. And just the planning was good. Um, we made ourselves smile while we were there and mm-hmm. take pictures with our with our five month old at the time. And mm-hmm. um, coming back was hard. Yeah. Coming back was hard because we knew we were going to come back to places that triggered. But while we were there, um, we didn't have to see things every day that reminded us of her. We didn't have to see, you know, her clothes or um, her room or just the things that that were hard that we had to feel feel and deal with every day. Just driving in the car, places we'd been to her, everything for so long was just everything triggered. But she's not with you, you know. Yeah. But being there for that ten days was just a real gift. It was like a little a little, you know, trip to smile and we cried while we were there, but but we also just recognized that it was a little bit of a little bit of healing. Yeah. And people have continued, you know, their generosity. I love um the intentionality that you um put forth to remember Mary Claire, you know, the the trips that you take once a year, you know, um, people have provided yep. space for you to do yep. that. And y'all are, um, you know, you, you have never missed a year. I mean, nope. that is, <laughs> <laughs> nope. we absolutely, it's, it, that's been a huge, when we, that first year before we, 
before we as we approached um, her passing date. Um, and her birthday is May first, and her passing day is June twentieth. So all the days in between that are yeah. hard. Yeah. But um, we just we took our family, our whole family, Matt's family, my family, and Father Clint, our um, our favorite priest, who married us with us and um, had a mass out under the rain on a patio and um, and just we're together. And every year since we've found a way to get away um, to the beach or um, we went to a retreat center one year close by. But we just realized, and our kids recognize why we're doing it and they um, are able to see that we're, we're wanting to make good memories on top mm -hmm. of the hardest one we've mm -hmm. ever had. And people have gifted that to you guys. And it, I, you know, as um, somebody close to you, I would imagine that you know, it's it's healing for them too to get to feel useful in helping. We're made to bear one another's burdens, and so um, I would imagine that that's just, it's just a neat way to collect a body and to allow people. You know, the the other thing I think about, you know, Mary Claire's park and her tree, and uh -huh. um, y'all have just been so thoughtful about ways to remember her. And I, I would just imagine, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if y'all weren't doing those, th I can't imagine how those things are helpful in ways that you might not right. even necessarily know because you've never not done them. Right. No. And her first birthday, we um, we spent a lot of energy in planning that day and invited mm -hmm. lots of people to thank them. And we released ladybugs and mm -hmm. um, all those intentional things. We just, you know, we had to do on really hard days. I can remember a hard day. Um going and just shopping for a two-year-old little girl and using some of the funds that people had provided for in our Mary Claire Memorial Fund and, and providing those to a, you know, to a source that needed them, you know, yeah. whether it was our church community or um, another two-year-old that needed some things at Christmas time. But we mm -hmm. just, we felt like, I'm like, I want to buy for a little girl right now and mm. I'm going to do it <laughs> somehow. Um, one thing that I, I just can't miss, I, um, I don't know if this is how it is in my mind at least, but I've actually written about this and, and publicly spoken about this, um, that it, one day I feel like you had maybe just kind of had enough of yourself and mourning doesn't ever, you know, go away like this, but I think that you maybe sensed yourself moping morning had kind of turned to moping and you were, were enough was enough and you slung your camera over your shoulder and you I'm going to go take pictures in the NICU and you just really poured yourself out to people who needed it do you feel like service I mean absolutely and you know ironically um while going through counseling my counselor had me read a book about how to counsel those in grief and she said I want you to read this and let me know if it's accurate, if this is a really good resource to give other. And um, one of the things that I recalled in there is a few of the like psychological things that officially help people get through grief is having somewhere to put love that they were not having a place to put it before. So, mm. you know, once we were able to have another child, we were able to heal some more because we had a place to put all that love that we yeah. didn't have before. But um, the service is huge, like serving others and I remember watching that show, Extreme Home Makeover, and um, at the time I was I was really moping, or I I was having a hard time um, participating in my normal Bible study or my normal mm -hmm. peer groups because I just couldn't relate. Yeah. I couldn't relate to to the things that they struggled with in life because right. I just felt like what I was facing was just so unbearable, and so I kind of had to step away for a bit mm -hmm. and. Um, watching that show inspired me. I said, I just need to be around suffering right now. Mm. And I didn't know at the time what that was going to look like. And it slowly grew into, um, there's a group at Texas Children's that takes pictures of children in the NICU that whose parents are coming every day and helps them scrapbook while mm -hmm. they're there. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that some of them may go home and some of them may not, but regardless, those pictures are priceless. Mm -hmm. And we were blessed to have so many pictures of our daughter. And um, it was it was really good for me. I, I, I did get pregnant while I was doing that. Oh, and, oh I didn't know And that. so it was, it was neat how God kind of showed me so much yes. hope through that service. Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. I, you know, speaking of, you know, you needing to pull away, um, you know, from 
some of your more normal social activities. I remember when Beefy lost her mom, um, you know, we were young. And so people were going out and she's like, can't do it. Can't sit around a bar and talk about things that don't matter. Can't do it. And so she really, you know, excluded herself from some of her regular, you know, normal activities too. So that's probably, that's probably common. Um, one of the things that you've mentioned to me before that I think is so valuable, um, for people witnessing others' stories is a girlfriend you were shopping um, on a, an important date, whether it was your birthday oh, yeah. or her birthday, and you were having emotions, and she just stopped with you and said, I hate this. You know, you know, being mad at something along with you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was very special for me to just have someone... And I know lots of my friends feel that way, but for her to be able yeah. to like say it yeah. with me... It was just really touching, and it just helped me recognize who my real friends are. Yeah. You know. That well, you feel like you need to comfort. I'm gonna try to. Co- there is no comforting. This sucks. So I, I, I can see how friends kind of get, um, feel like they need to step into that role when really just kind of linking elbows is better. Oh, absolutely. And and, and being comfortable with uncomfortable emotions. Exactly. Yes. Like. I mean, my sister definitely had to witness, and I'm sure you did too, but, like, there were just, you know, times that I had to ugly cry, and I needed Mm -hmm. people that were going to hold that space for me because Mm -hmm. being alone while you ugly cry is really scary. Mm -hmm. And my husband was grieving himself. And so, like, for us to do that together was just really, really scary because it's like, who's going to capture us? (gasps) You know? And we we had Matt's dad staying with us so many nights because he just wanted to um, let us not feel so alone. Yeah. Well, um, I feel like we have so much more to talk about. Um, This is going to make its way into season two for sure. But that's another thing that's a miracle through all of this is your marriage. Um, Y'all being able to walk that rocky road together. Um, I just love you, Steph, and I just thank you so much for sharing your heart. It's so deep and big and thick and wise. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Signs Cleaning. Signs Cleaning, quality commercial cleaning that suits your company's budget. Call 979-260-3160 for a complimentary bid. Signs Cleaning, we don't cut corners, we clean them. And Nightingale Pest Solutions, providing effective, ecologically conscientious strategies that promote healthful and pleasant pest-free environments for homeowners and businesses across the Brazos Valley. Nightingale Pest Solutions, exemplary service, extraordinary care. And Safe to Save. Safe to Save is a free app motivating you in a positive way to not text and drive. Download the app, pull it up before you drive, earn points for driving responsibly, and redeem your points at participating restaurants, retail, and service-oriented businesses. If Safe to Save isn't in your area yet, start earning points anyway as we quickly expand. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers. But that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? Knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hi, Beef. Hi, Beef. Um, so I used to brag all the time um, when I was younger, like young 20s, that um, I don't need therapy because I have a best friend. Hmm. I know. I've since gotten therapy. <laughs> and, Sorry. <laughs> and realize I need therapy a lot. There's something about a third party that's not invested in your story that is so valid and useful. Um, but I do feel like you and I have been able to wade in deep waters and be really effective with one another as listeners and healers. Um, I'm just curious if there's ever been a time that you felt ineffective with me, has there ever been a time where it was difficult to be a friend? Well, it's hard to think about. Um, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is it wasn't when you, I think you were having a hard time. It was as an adult hearing you talk about things that you experienced in junior high when I was Mm. right there next to you in the hallway in the classroom and you had experiences that I didn't know about. And as an adult, I, um, 
hated, hated, and felt a lot of guilt that I didn't know or didn't ask or didn't see things that um, was going on with you that maybe I could have helped with. Yeah. So I was ruthlessly bullied in in junior high, and um, it was embarrassing to me. It was, it just, I I hadn't learned um, the power of telling the truth or letting people into my story as a healer. And so I wanted to pretend like it wasn't happening. I blamed myself um, for the reasons that it was happening. And so the last thing that I wanted, the messages that I was, that I was receiving was you're too much, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, as people, you know, gathered outside my science lab, all of a lunch to be specific Mm -hmm. and uh, chanted things, awful, ugly, terrible things at me as a mob. um, I didn't, I didn't want to revisit that. So I didn't, but I did need to go back and, and do some healing and, you know, undo some lies as an adult. And that was when I had learned, I had since learned, you know, the value of letting people into your story. So, yeah. What about for me? Um, I already knew the answer to this one and I'm sure you do too. It's kind of an obvious one, but, um, when your mom was dying and you were her primary and only caregiver, um, that, that was really, I didn't have any frame of reference for that. You and I had never been through anything like that, um, before, obviously not in our own lives, but even, you know, just so up close, we've ne- we had never seen death before. And I so desperately wanted to lighten your load and bear your, <laughs> bear your burden and, um, it was, it, it was terrible. It was terrible to watch. You were so selfless and you, um, I remember, you know, we were riding in a car one day and I, for whatever, I don't know why I'm yelling at the girl whose mom's dying, but I yelled, I just want to help you. And you were, I'll never forget it. You were driving and your jaw was set. You were not mad at me. It was not that, but you said, Allison, I'm busy. I'm just busy. Like every second was just about taking the next breath. But you know what that makes me think of that I haven't thought about in for a long time? I think I said around that same time, it's not now when I'm going to need you. It's going to be, you know, at my wedding and when my kids are mm-hmm. born and for every birthday. And you have been there 300% mm-hmm. then. So love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, moving <laughs> right along. Here's our question. Um, I feel, the listener asks, I feel like I've been dealt an unfair hand and I can't quit asking why me any help. Well, I get that um, from losing my mom too. And what I would say is not immediately, not even very soon thereafter, but she's been gone 15 years now and some time in the last maybe five or so I got peace in thinking and realizing that I was really able to hang on to my grief because I was um, mourning the loss of a plan that I had expected for myself. And when I realized that that was never his plan for me and that it was always, um, he always knew that I would have my mom for 22 years and then he had a plan to put amazing people in my life that would, um, you know, be there in her absence after that. I just... I don't know, it was somehow very, very peaceful to me. It's This is a weird example, but I've said it before that it's like when my, like, son was, like, five and would be like, Mom, I can't believe we're not going to get ice cream today. This is so terrible. And I would look at him and be like, who ever told you that ice cream was, like, on the table today? Like, no one's talked about ice cream. Why are you so mad that we're not having ice cream? It was like a child like inventing something in their head of what a plan was going to be that was never promised to them and never said. And Mm. that might be oversimplifying, but for me, no, I think it's a great example because what it, the reshift or the reframer is that your mom was a gift. Right. Right. And, and the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but it's a, it's a gift. And I think that, you know, a a lot of times our expectations can increase our grief, you know, um, because not only are we dealing with a loss or, you know, an unmet expectation, but then we're kind of also dealing with the fact that God is unkind, um, which is certainly, or, you know, something an enemy would like for us to believe that's, that's a lie. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to this because I don't feel like I've walked through a lot of, you know, grief in my life yet. Um, I'm 
certain that it's coming. Um, but you know, and so I don't want to tell anyone how to feel. I think that, you know, our, the best thing that we can be is a witness to someone's story. And so I don't want to tell anyone how to feel, but when I think about how grace is sufficient, his grace is sufficient. It's what you're talking about. Right. You know, we, we think about all these things that we think we have as right. I have a right yes, to a yes. good job because I'm a hard worker. I have a right to love because I'm kind. I, you know, we have all these rights. Um, when really his grace is sufficient, period, his grace is sufficient. We have what we need right now. Um, so, you know, as far as, you know, the, the why me question, I don't know. Why not? Why not? Yep. <laughs> you know, we're not ever gonna, we're not ever gonna feel perfectly at home here. We weren't made for it. We're made for eternity. Amen. Amen. Bye, beef. Mm, bye, beef. <laughs> Love you. Praying for listener. <laughs> Signing off. Lubell is my friend from junior high. She won every science fair there ever was. We lost touch for a while until Facebook intervened. And now that we're reunited, it is all my pleasure to log on and see Lubell win the internet day after day. Today is the 60th anniversary of my neighbor Heidi and her husband James. James passed away in 2016, and this is Heidi's first anniversary without him. She is having her family over to remember this incredibly special occasion and wrote a letter to James Heidi asked me to look over the letter and edit it if needed. It was a deep privilege working with her through the process, and I barely changed a word. With her permission, I wanted to share it with all of you. To show that love can extend through grief and space, heaven and earth, memory and real time. Happy anniversary, Heidi and James. And I taught Heidi the meaning of the following because I never meant it more. Hashtag relationship goals. Hello, dear James. It's just me again. I don't know how to reach you besides through prayers and my morning talks. Still, I hope you get my message messages anyhow. Happy 60th anniversary. We had planned to spend this momentous day in Charleston, but this will do knowing I am in our kitchen loving you as much as I do and you are in heaven looking down on me. Your presence continually resonates with me. Like the faint hum of a radio, I can't quite catch the frequency as I turn the knob trying to find the right station. It's a blurry shadow that won't come into focus, but there are some mornings that I hit it just right and I hear your voice as clear as a Sinatra song. Time to time, I quote lines from an obscure movie or recite a verse from a tune you loved, but the references fall flat. No chuckle or twinkle of the eye is returned. I'm sharing inside jokes with the cat and speaking a lost language no one understands. Those are the moments that I would give anything to see your face. Little things you try to teach continue to impact me. The best place to park your car how to turn on and off the internet box after a storm, and the joys of cold pizza. Still not on board with the last one, but I don't heat it like I used to when I eat the leftovers after the grandkids visit. The tokens of your love exist everywhere. The vase you bought on our 50th Valentine's and faithfully filled with flowers each year. The heartfelt anniversary cards you created the countless photo albums you obsessively compiled? Did you instinctively know these would one day be your testimony? My daily remembrance of you during this grief? My favorite part of the day is the morning when I talk to you about my plans after my walk like we did over coffee. You were not a morning person. I was. But you'd sit there, smiling quietly, just sipping your coffee patiently while I yammered on. I miss our mornings. I drink tea now. I don't co like coffee anymore. It's too much like us. I miss our talks because you were such a good listener. Did I ever tell you that I love that about you? I hope so. I wish you were here for me to talk to because I still have so many questions.
Happy anniversary, my love. Do you remember on our last anniversary, I asked you if you needed anything? And you said, love me. That's all I ask of you. It shocked me because it was from a song I love from Phantom of the Opera, and you slept through the whole play. Yet another surprise you had under your sleeve. One of thousands through these 23,725 days we have been married. I hope to see you soon, James. You made me promise to live life to the fullest here on earth while you are gone, and I am trying not to be so sad. So I guess I hope to see you soon in my dreams, and when you call and it's the right time, I'll see you in person. With all my love, Heidi. From the book of Hebrews, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I teach at the women's prison in my neighborhood where week after week I learn that they are just like me and I am just like them. Grief is defined as an intense emotional suffering caused by loss, disaster, misfortune. When I read this, so many of my losses immediately came to mind. When I was 14, I became pregnant. My parents decided that I was going to put the baby up for adoption. I agreed. How could a 14-year-old ever care for a baby? At the last minute, however, the baby's dad and his parents decided they wanted to raise our son. It was a boy. I gave birth to a baby boy. At first I was relieved, but leaving that hospital without my precious baby left a hole in my heart. I was able to be involved in my son's life, but it wasn't like I wanted. He was my baby, my precious boy, but the two of us interacted like distant acquaintances, maybe like a distant aunt or uncle, and it broke my heart anew every time I saw him. When I was 21, I had my daughter. I loved her with all the love I wasn't able to give my son. And then when he was six and my daughter was a few months old, he came to live with me. A family. We were like a real family. I was so happy that the three of us were together. My daughter's dad and I were engaged, but he was abusive and things were getting worse. He wasn't working. I was. I was trying to support us. I was doing my best, but I failed miserably. In the middle of that turmoil, I got pregnant. It was twins and I couldn't even imagine it. I couldn't. I had an abortion. And if that wasn't bad enough, I got pregnant again and had another abortion. I have held on to this ache that before this class was unspeakable. 12 years and I have never spoken of it. I can only recently begin to accept that maybe God forgives me. Maybe he really does, but I'm scared. I was raised Catholic and I'm afraid the church will push me away. It's only here in prison that I have attended church and I can't imagine attending on the outside. How could anyone accept me there? It's hard enough to consider that the God of the universe who is love accepts me, but a mere human. Will I even be able to participate in Mass? I know what I need to do to heal. I need to tell my story. You have allowed me to do that, and I can feel a change in my soul. The night I was arrested, it was a blessing. I knew that in the midst of my mess that God was the only one that could save me. I whispered silent prayers, asking Him for help, and He answered them when I was sentenced. It is here that I am learning who I am, but there is still this hole in my heart. The life I have left behind haunts me. I don't know the right ways to grieve. I don't know how to heal. I don't know how to let go of shame. But I do know how to pray. Slowly I'm opening myself up and slowly love seeps in. I share my story and finally put words to my losses and allow God to do for me what I could never do for myself. I have so far to go before grief turns to joy, but I will get there. I will. Great. 
Dear God, we grieve. Our hearts ache and our souls cry out when it seems like your promises don't cover what we want. But you, God, are the Father of compassion. You are the source of every comfort, and your grace is sufficient for us. So please come alongside us in our pain and strengthen us as we journey. Remind us of your unfailing love and help us to trust in you as the God of hope that you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy Lord, unto me. For this episode, a special thank you to Stephanie Ragitz and Matt Ragitz, Signs Cleaning, Nightingale Pest Solutions, Safe to Save, Chan Redfield for Music, Sandra Perez, Kristen Kelly, Lubel Cruz Gaelic, Pamela Anthony Cutright, and Brian Federal Prison Camp. This episode is dedicated to the life and memory of Mary Claire Ragitz.